Amen. Thank you, worship team, and uh, thank you, church, as well. Uh, how much fun was that having those kids kick our service off for us? I thought that was pretty, pretty good. I'm grateful that we have kids who can clap on the backbeat because apparently I can't. Uh, but I'm grateful for a lot of things. I actually wanted to get this out because I wasn't going to remember this exactly. And so I want to give you the report from Vacation Bible School this year. We had over 275 participate in VBS this year. We had 10 decisions to follow Christ, either in salvation or with a public profession in baptism. So praise the Lord for that as well. And then you see this big offering wheel here. If you, if you didn't get to come and be a part of BBS, you may not know, but every night the kids bring an offering for missions. This year, that offering is going towards providing Bibles for our partner in Malawi, Gospel Life Missions. Uh, and the kids were excited. They bring bricks of pennies because apparently pennies weigh more than dollar bills. Who knew? And they put those in there. And then it's boys versus girls. And every night, it is just wild. And I might have had a part in trying to kind of amp up the feeling on that a little bit. But two nights, the girls won, and two nights, the boys won. So we call it a tie and a kingdom win. But we don't have a total yet. Apparently, there were so many pennies, they're still counting them at the bank, and we don't have a total to give yet. But next Sunday, hopefully, we'll have that and celebrate the kids' participation in kingdom work by seeing Bibles purchased there in the Chichewa language. Uh, we're going to be continuing this morning in the book of First Peter. And if you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to pull it out and turn to chapter one. We're going to be finishing out chapter one this morning, and, and we're going to start by reading that section all together, chapter one, verses 13 to 25. And so I'd encourage you to get your copy of God's word and, and turn there with me. But while you're turning there, <clears throat> we are a missionary people, right? We are a missionary people. We are meant to be those who are saved and then sent, right? Right now, we've got a team down in Brazil. I'd ask you guys to please be praying for them. I have never seen one of our mission trips face as much opposition as this one has. Uh, and, and I don't say that as a downer. I say that because if the enemy is active, how much is God getting ready to do? Y'all, this was crazy. So we had one of the team not able to go at the, at the last minute, paperwork, passport, nothing came through right. And so the, we were down one on the team. We loaded the bus up, put all of the luggage in the back of the van, shut the door, and then the door refused to open when they got down to the airport in Nashville. I have pictures of airport maintenance out there with crowbars helping them get their luggage out of the church van. Uh, and then every flight they would pull like four people out or five people out or nine people out and be like, oh, your tickets aren't right. You, you're going to have to sit this flight out. Every way, every step, they get down there to Terracina, their luggage is still in Florida. As of this moment, they still don't have their luggage. And so I would ask you guys to be praying for that team, praying for the Lord to give them joy in the midst of trial. I was texting back and forth with Pastor Kamar this morning. I texted him 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This light and momentary affliction is preparing us an incredible weight of glory. I don't know if he felt that was helpful or not. But pray for them as they go. Because again, we are missionary 
people, the kids raising money for Bibles, us sending a team to Brazil. My family and I had our first experience going to Utah on a mission trip recently. And if you tried to get a family of five anywhere in the air, it's expensive. And so we decided we'll save money and we'll drive. 25 hours together in the car, however, needs some distraction. Can we just say it that way? Now, my kids are 14 and 11 and 8. I don't know if you remember being 14, 11, or 8. Some of you are 14, 11, or 8. But those of us who don't maybe remember that, you don't remember how exciting it is to go to a hotel with a pool. <laughs> right? I don't know what it is about hotel pools, but those are like the best pools ever. You're traveling, you're going somewhere, you're in the car for a long time, but you know in your mind, if mom and dad will just stop at a hotel with a pool, that would be fantastic, right? But the pool's not the destination. It's just some fun along the way. It's a, it's a stop. It's a moment, it's an enjoyable thing, but it's not the destination. Here's what I want us to see as we look at 1 Peter. I want us to understand that we may have misunderstood some things about salvation. We may have confused the hotel pool for the destination. I'll explain what I mean in just a second, but I'd ask you to pick up your Bible and read with me. We're going to be in chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, now I'm going to stop right there actually for just a second. Anytime, I was having this conversation with my mom this week, anytime you find a therefore in the Bible, you ought to ask one question. What is the therefore, therefore, right? Why does he say therefore? Therefore is a really unique word. I love it. In light of everything that was just said, here's an implication. In light of what I just said, here's what I want you to do next. That's a therefore transition. And I said this last week, but when we get to this therefore, it's very important that we understand because Peter's getting ready to talk to us about holiness, about sanctification, about uh, growing in obedience to God. It's very important that we don't separate that growth in obedience, that holiness, from what he's already talked about, which is the hope that we have in Christ, the joy of our salvation that is by grace through faith and not of works, to borrow from Paul. Right? We need to understand this therefore now is there for the reason of helping us to understand what he's about to say needs to be tied to what he just finished saying. The hope of the gospel is tied to the holiness that the gospel leads us to. All right. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers." For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God." 
since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. This word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. This word that is enduring, that never fades, never fails. This word is what produces in us obedience. This word is what comes because Jesus Christ died for us and saved us, redeeming us from our former way of life, not with perishable things, but with imperishable, not with goods or services rendered, but by his blood and through his grace. Therefore, be holy as God is holy, right? And so if we trace this argument downstream or upstream, we have a picture of salvation. Now I talked about earlier how we have a tendency to stop too early on a journey, right? If we had been going to Utah and we got to that hotel with a pool and my kids said, woo, we have arrived. Let's just stay here for the rest of the week. First off, that would have been an incredibly boring trip. Secondly, how disappointed would I be that my kids could not grasp we're going somewhere much better. We have a purpose, we have a goal, and this was just a waypoint. Great, yes, fun, yes, but not what we're intended for. Not what this journey was meant for. I think that we have done something similar in the Christian life by misunderstanding what the journey of salvation is about, all right? And because, because we're all visual people and because we all have the attention span of goldfish, I made a graphic for us, okay? I want you to look at this and I'm gonna walk us through it. This is a graphic describing the salvation journey. It's a simple graphic, right? You guys can read it. All right, left to right, you have this journey, a road, and there's a couple of waypoints along there. When we talk about salvation, almost every time all we're talking about is regeneration. Almost every time what we're talking about is the moment when God changes our heart. The moment when we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Oftentimes that's all we mean by salvation. But when we look at the New Testament, we see that salvation encompasses so much more. We see the salvation, instead of just being that moment when our hearts are changed and regenerated, also includes sanctification. Now, I left the, I left the big theological words up there because I think they're helpful to know, but, but I want to define them. Regeneration is new birth, like what Peter talked about. Sanctification is be holy as I am holy, like I just read. Sanctification is this process whereby an unholy person becomes more and more like the holy God. Guess what, friends? That is biblically part of salvation. We are not saved to just swim in the hotel pool of regeneration. We are meant to keep going from that point. Praise the Lord for regeneration. Praise the Lord for that new heart and that new life and God's spirit indwelling us. But we are changed for a reason. We are meant to be 
sanctified. And then that final point there is glorification. That's frankly, that's what we're all looking forward to. That's what Peter talked about last week in the text that we looked at. We talked about this inheritance that's waiting for you, imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven. Yeah, that's where we're going. All of those things are part of salvation. When we only focus on regeneration, we're missing God's point. And that, I think, is what Peter's trying to say here. He's trying to get his audience, us, we chosen exiles, we sojourners living in a land that is not our own, the goal is not just change of your heart. The goal is change of your life and change of your world. And that is what Peter has in mind. Today, we're going to zoom in on that middle point. We're going to be looking at sanctification, and Peter's going to walk through it and describe it for us. What does this look like? What is the goal? Why are we talking about this? And on and on. But I want to reiterate something. Sanctification is the process by which unholy people become more and more like the holy God. Here's the thing, friends. If you've ever seen a baptism at Edgewood Baptist Church and you see the kids come into the water or the adult come into the water, and, and then I ask three questions, right? I ask, do you admit that you're a sinner? Yes, me too, right? Do you admit that you're a sinner? That is that confession that I needed regeneration and God granted it to me. Because of my sin, I was unlike God. That was the problem. And what God is solving is making me like God. Regeneration starts that. Regeneration is accomplished. Paul can say of us that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but guess what? Until we get to those heavenly places, we are in the process of becoming more and more like the God who has saved us and is saving us. This is something that we struggle to wrap our minds around, so I want to I try to break this down a little bit by looking at the text. Look at verse 13 with me. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your minds. Now, this is a really strange statement. With your minds ready for action, when we think about action, what are we usually thinking about? We're not thinking about our minds. We're usually thinking about our hands or our feet, but Peter doesn't say, get your hands or your feet ready for action, to be holy as I am holy, to be obedient children. He doesn't say, get your hands or your feet ready. He says what? Your mind. Your mind. Brothers and sisters, as we think about this great work that God is doing in bringing his people along from the point of being rebellious sinners against him, changing their hearts, enabling them to follow him in holiness, and then ultimately making them like his son, Jesus Christ, we need to grasp this. Holiness requires a decision, and it results in an action. Holiness requires a decision, and it results in an action. This is the problem we have. When we're just thinking about salvation in terms of regeneration, when we stop thinking about this whole journey of faith that God is calling us out onto, when we forget about where we're supposed to go and how we're supposed to get there, when we forget about that, we fall into the trap of thinking, well, God's going to make me holy when he chooses to make me holy. 
right? Well, if, if I just don't feel like being like God, I just don't feel like forgiving this person who has asked me for forgiveness. I just don't feel like not cheating on my taxes. I just don't feel like you don't feel your way into anything meaningful. I feel my way into a late night Sonic run. I make a decision into getting healthy, making good decisions, choosing to get my life straightened out. There is a decision that is required. You will not drift into sanctification. You cannot accidentally stumble onto sanctification. You will not become like the God who has saved you unless you decide and take action on that decision. Now, here's the good news. That power has been granted to you. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same that indwells you, Christ follower, now. But you have to make the decision. If you have a car, you know what I'm talking about, right? You can have a car and you can go and you can sit in that car and you can turn the wheel and you can push the buttons and you can pull the levers and you can do all of that. But until you make the decision to start the car, it's not gonna get anywhere. It's the same way with the Christian life. Holiness requires a decision. The power is there. This motor will run. Those wheels will turn, but you have to say, yes, that's what I want. I'm not content to just get my fire insurance and coast my way into the kingdom of God. I am wanting the transformation of my heart to lead to a transformation of my life. Holiness requires a decision results in action. I like Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jackie Hill Perry, I commend her book to you. Um, there's actually, she's written a couple of books, but this one, she wrote a book called Holier Than Thou, and it's not what you think. That's what we often think. When, when, when we hear about this idea of sanctification or holiness, we oftentimes think in terms of, oh, somebody who's trying to be better than everybody else. No, it's talking about how God is holier than us. But I like this phrase. Look at this. She says, we all want, we will want and choose to put to death that which is earthly in us when we believe that God is infinitely better than everything we are tempted to leave him for. We will make that decision. We will take that action once we're convinced that God is the greatest good. And he is. And that's what Peter's trying to convince us of here. He's trying to say, therefore, your mind's ready for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. He goes on, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. This holiness is an expectation. It's not the exception. We in American Christianity have a tendency to look at somebody who has made the decision to pursue holiness, to be set apart, to be like the holy God who called them. We have a tendency to look at them and think, oh, wow, they're like super Christian. Oh, wow, I could never do that. Peter says here, no, holiness is the expectation 
not the exception. We should be looking at one another, saints, and we should be seeing one another more and more looking like Jesus. We should see progress. We should see a growth in sanctification. That's expected, according to Peter. It's not the exception. In order for us to see that happen, it'd be real easy for us to look around at all the other people around us, all the other Christ followers around us, and be like, y'all need to get your act together. But that's not Peter's point, is it? We make the decision to pursue holiness. We make the decision to pursue Christ. We recognize that this is the expectation. We're not the exception. We're not the ones who are going to fail. We're not the ones who are going to fall behind. It's hard to wrap our heads around this sometimes. Just like the girl in my driver's ed class. So in, in Idaho, you can get your license. I don't remember all the exact numbers, but it was like you could get your license at 16. But if you took driver's ed from a certified school, you could get it at like 15 and a half. Me, I wanted those wheels. I wanted that driver's license. So I'm like, sign me up for some driver's ed. I get to the first night of my driver's ed class, and there's a classroom portion, a driving portion. There's this girl in there, and she's sitting there, and we're all talking before the teacher comes in, and she says, yeah, this is my fourth time taking the class. Huh. And then these words, I don't know why they won't just give me my license now. <laughs> like three strikes and we'll pass you? Like, I don't get how this concept worked in her mind that, that this was something that was just, hey, I put my time in, I did the class, I served it. Okay, now, now give me that license and let me drive. And as somebody who went along with her on one of her test drives, I'm hoping she still doesn't have her license, actually. <laughs> right? There is this sense in which we misunderstand the purpose of the Christian life. It's like, I served my time. I showed up on Sunday. I went to Sunday school. Why don't they just give me sanctification yet? Well, because you've got to improve. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect, but you should be changing. You should be growing. You shouldn't need somebody spoon-feeding you for the rest of your life. You should be changed. Perfection, no. Improving, yes. Holiness, is the expectation, not the exception. Next point, God is the standard of holiness and he will judge accordingly. We have a tendency to look around at the people around us and assume that that's our measure of holiness, right? We're gonna look around and be like, you know what, I'm better than average. The, everybody's favorite is Hitler. Well, I'm not Hitler. <laughs> well done. <laughs> not a very high bar to clear, right? You are... Average. You and I, when we compare ourselves to one another, we're going to be better than a lot of people. We're going to be worse than some, but on the whole, we'll feel like we're somewhat above. When I was in high school, I played soccer. Some of you like soccer, some of you don't. Some of you don't even know why anybody would play soccer, but be that as it may, I thought I was pretty good at soccer. And uh, I thought I was good enough to try out for the Olympic development program. Because here's what happened. I was on a team in a small town in southern Idaho, not exactly a hotbed of soccer talent, okay? But I was better than average. You know, I'm not bragging here or anything, but I was better than at least six of the guys on my team. 
So yeah, why don't I try out for the Olympic Development Program? Friends, there is a vast difference between soccer in southern Idaho and soccer in just about everywhere else, apparently. <laughs> Far from being ready for the Olympic team, I might have qualified for like stadium restroom attendant. I don't know. I was not good because I was comparing myself to the wrong standard. When we look at holiness, we have a tendency to look around us at other people and be like, well, I'm better than they are. Wait, you want a cookie? God's the standard. He says, be holy as I am holy. He is the one who is going to judge impartially each one's work and therefore conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living here as strangers. And it's at that point that all of us could begin to feel a weight that Peter does not intend us to feel. With everything that I've said thus far, there's some of you who are sitting here and thinking to yourself, oh man, I've got to try harder. I've got to do better or God's not going to love me. That's not what Peter's trying to say. And he reminds us of this. He reminds us, look at this in verse 18. For you know, you know, Christian, despite what the last 10 minutes have been getting you thinking, you know, Christian, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Your efforts don't save you. Hear me. Your efforts don't save you. God doesn't love you more if you show up at church three times a week than if you show up one time a week. God doesn't love you less if you fail again this week like you failed last week. Your relationship with him is affected. Your connection with him and, and the people around you are affected by that, but he doesn't love you less. He already redeemed you by the blood of his son. What more evidence do you need that you are accepted, Christ follower, that you are loved by the God of the universe than that he would sacrifice his son for you? You can't earn it. You're not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. You can't buy your way in. You can't effort your way in. You're redeemed by grace. But I come back to that map. I come back to it. Jesus is the one who makes holiness possible, not you. But he sets you on a journey that leads towards holiness. My fear coming into this text, this message, was that there would be some of you sitting here who would conclude, I've got to work harder so God will love me. No, that's not the point. That's not what Peter's saying. Jesus already did it. Jesus already proved it. My fear is that you would come away concluding something false about your salvation that you have to work to earn it. No, scripture's clear on that. But I have another fear. And that is, that some of you would hear what I'm saying now and walk away concluding that you don't have to change, that you shouldn't be growing in holiness, that God's grace has saved you not for sanctification, but for laziness. 
And you might conclude that, well, because God's not going to love me any less, I'm going to still look at that stuff on the computer I'm not supposed to be looking at. Because God's not going to change the way he feels about me, I'm not going to treat my coworkers any different. I'm going to keep gossiping about our neighbor. I'm going to keep doing this or that or the other thing. No. No. Jesus has saved you. God's grace has redeemed you. You are on a journey, and that journey is bent to be taking you towards him. You are regenerated, yes. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places, yes. There is an inheritance set up that is unperishable, undefiled, unfading, yes. But if the gospel has changed you, the gospel will change you. You're like, huh, hold on, wait, how does that work? If the gospel has changed you, the gospel will change you. That's Peter's point here. You are saved by grace. You don't earn it. You can't make it happen. Praise the Lord for his grace. But if we understand the gospel, it changes us. That regeneration sparks a process of sanctification, which gives us the hope of glorification. Here's the thing. Regeneration is pretty much about you. I mean, not really. It's about Jesus. But it's something that benefits you. When you are made alive with Christ, that, that's a good thing. When, when you are raised from the dead spiritually, that's a good thing. Glorification is going to be a good thing. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you guys are longing for heaven? How many of you think that sounds pretty nice to receive that inheritance prepared for us? But in between, there's something for us, and it's not for us. Sanctification benefits those around us. Husbands, look at your life, and then look at your wife. Is Jesus' presence in your life making any difference for her experience week by week? Because we're told that one of the implications of the gospel is that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. If your relationship with your wife is not changing, do you really understand the gospel? If Jesus is not making a difference there, has he made a difference? Employees, look at your record with your boss. Is he a problem? Is he the point of gossip around the water cooler, so to speak? Do you join in all of the jokes at his or her expense? The gospel changes us, leads us away from those kind of things. And so on and so forth in so many ways. And some of you are like, well, I'm not a husband, I'm not an employee, so I guess I'm off the hook. No. I trust that God has given you the intelligence required to apply that to your situation. Are you seeing transformation? Because according to the journey we're on, you should. You should be seeing a heart that's changed, then a life that's changed, and then an eternity that's changed. And that middle part is all about seeing others impacted, your relationships changing, 
their lives changing because your life has changed. This is when we understand the gospel. This is when it makes a difference. And look at, look at what he says. This is what Peter says. He says, this is how you can know that. He gives us a, an application. So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you've been born again, love one another. Interestingly enough, when Peter was walking around with Jesus, what did Jesus tell his disciples? The world will know that you are mine by your love for one another. That's a good place to start. That's a good place to look and say, am I changed by the gospel? Has it affected the way I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ? When we look at this concept, this idea of sanctification, again, it's so tempting for us to fall off the cliff on one side or the other. To fall off on the side of, well, it's all by grace, so no effort's required, or to say it's all by effort, so no grace is required. No, you are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast for good works which God prepared in advance that you should walk in them. Peter says this changes the way we live and it comes out of an unchanging spot. It says, you were born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And this word is the word, is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Brothers and sisters, the good news of regeneration is meant to be a seed. It's, it's an imperishable seed. It's a certain seed. We planted a garden this year, and on each of the packets of seed, there was this percentage. And the percentage kind of confused me, and so I asked the guy we bought it from, and he said, oh, that's the successful germination rate of that particular seed. And I'm like, well, you don't know me, because that percentage is going to be a lot lower when I get around to planting it. Peter says no. The germination rate here is 100%. When the gospel seed has truly been planted in soil prepared by regeneration, the fruit will be evident. It will grow into a harvest of increasing righteousness and holiness into the fruit of sanctification. Brothers and sisters, would that be the case for us? Would we not get distracted? Would we not stop too soon on this journey of salvation? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Peter who walked this, who knew this, who lived this, who experienced it. Thank you that each of us, wherever we are, God, we are on a journey with you. We don't judge our current progress against the progress of someone else. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, we don't want stagnation. We want transformation. We don't want God to be stuck the same this year as we were last year. God, help us to grow. Open our eyes to those points that you are willing to work on with us that you have given us the power to address. Give us minds that will be made up, that will be changed and ready for our lives to be changed. God, I pray that you would speak to each heart here. Help us to know what it is that you would have us 
think, do, speak as a result of your word given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.